You can turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Advent is finally here. Praise God. It's a sweet time of year. Advent simply means uh, coming or arrival. It is what we call the season leading up to Christmas. Advent is a season of anticipation, of waiting. For centuries, God's people were anticipating and longing for the coming promised Messiah to rescue them. They had promises like Genesis 3.15, that a seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Deuteronomy 18.5, a prophet like Moses who would speak with an unsurpassed authority. Psalm 110, a priest king would come one day would surpass the old covenant order and usher in a new covenant of gospel reign. Well, today we add to that list uh, Jeremiah 23. That a righteous branch would spring forth from David's line. Congregation, in light of all that Christ is for us, I want to urge you not to go through the motions uh, this Advent. Let us approach this season by faith for Christ's honor and our joy. And let us wait for that great day, his second advent, when the king returns for his bride. Amen. Let's stand together and read Jeremiah 23, 1 to 6, the righteous branch. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness or Jehovah Sidkenu. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. You can have a seat. I want to walk through this text with three main points, a word of terror, a word of comfort, and a word of hope. Verses 1 and 2 will comprise a word of terror, 
Verses 3 and 4 will uh, detail out a word of comfort. And verses 5 and 6 will expand on a word of hope. Just a few comments for context's sake. We're jumping right into Jeremiah. You're probably thinking what has happened in the first 22 chapters of Jeremiah. Well, a lot uh, has happened, but uh, he's a little bit like Paul from Romans 1 to 3. For 22 chapters, Jeremiah has indicted God's people. They have forgotten his word. They have not announced his word, and they have bowed down to idols. So chapter 23, praise God for us, is the first note of hope. It's the first note of redemption, of salvation that we hear from this great prophet. Jeremiah uh, prophesied in the 7th century B.C. Uh, He was persecuted heavily for his faith, for his preaching. He ministered in the time of Josiah's sons. So after Josiah and that Reformation Um, Josiah's sons didn't actually rule all that well. And this is the time in which Jeremiah ministered. He brought words of judgment and words of um, salvation, as we see here in chapter 23. Let's begin with a word of terror. Verses 1 and 2. Woe, he says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. These verses uh, highlight the shepherds. As you can see, uh, Jeremiah's words are pointed right to the political and religious leaders of the day. This is what the shepherds were for the people of Israel. They weren't just religious leaders under the old covenant and the theocracy. It was the political leaders as well that they saw as shepherds, Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, and Jehoiachin, sons of Josiah, kings of Judah. These men were supposed to be the best of the best. This was the kingly line. They are to lead God's people in obeying God's law. Deuteronomy 17. They are to protect the flock, actually. They are to care for God's people. And with the help of the religious shepherds, that is the prophet and priest, the kings are to feed the flock God's word. But as you can tell, congregation, verses 1 and 2, the kingly line is in ruins. Verse 1, look at it. These men are destroying the flock. They're scattering the sheep of God's pasture. Verse 2 says that they're driving them away. And they're not attending to them. They're not caring for them. Chapter 22, just skip back here, verse 13. Look at that with me, if you will. Chapter 22, verse 13. These men, these sons of Josiah, they dwell in palaces, spacious rooms for themselves, nice houses, paneling with cedar, verse 14. But they made their neighbors serve them for nothing. They didn't give the worker his wages. Verse 16 of chapter 22 says that these wicked kings fail to judge the cause of the poor and the needy. 
They shed innocent blood and practice violence. So that's the political rulers of the day. Try living under those men. Chapter 5, verse 31, you don't need to turn there. The religious leaders aren't any better. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their own direction. They had one job to do, that is the priest. They had, they must inquire of God. And they did not do so. Chapter 10, verse 21. And this is why in verse 2 of our text, God says to these wicked shepherds, well, if you don't attend to my people, I'm going to attend to you. Because these men did not visit the flock with care, God was going to visit them with terror. That is the shepherds. Who needs wolves when you have shepherds like these? And I suppose the truth of these verses, beloved, could be proven all throughout human history. How many political leaders have enslaved and devoured their own people? How many religious leaders have ministered to their spiritual harm of their flock? Take the shepherds of our own day. Let's just place our life in the context of Jeremiah, political and religious. Is President Biden really the voice of integrity, honesty, and justice? And while I may agree with the other side, was President Trump the voice of dignity, maturity, and purity? What about the ministers of our day? Do they really attend to God's people? Do they care for them, love them, and feed them? Do they set Christ forth as they ought to? For sinner and saint alike to take him as he is. Is there a a tincture in, in the words of Thomas Boston among ministers today? A presence of God, a palpable presence of Christ upon their life and ministry. That you could say, you know what, that congregation and that man, they dwell with God. They live with God. It seems to me that some ministers today are more interested in their personal platforms, being known for this or being known for that, than feeding and attending to the flock. Who needs wolves? when you have shepherds like these. So what's a word of terror that Jeremiah needs to bring? Well, what do God's people need to hear in times like these when the best of the best are really the worst of the worst? Well, they need a word of comfort. They need a word of comfort, verses 3 and 4. God says, "Then, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. 
and I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. And I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Though the under shepherds take no care of the flock, suffer not with them, and in fact neglect them altogether, God, the chief shepherd here, will take care of his people. He says in verse 3, I will gather the remnant of my flock. I will bring them back to their fold. Under the leadership of Josiah's sons, God's people were continually exposed and harmed by enemies. Enemies within the covenant community and enemies outside of the covenant community. But when God himself tends to his people, he puts shepherds over them who will also care for them. And his people say, or they experience, did you see it? These wonderful blessings. His people will no longer fear, nor be dismayed, nor will there be any missing. Such shepherds were men like Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, who returned to the land with the exiles in the 5th century. These men were godly shepherds, leading the people in spiritual reform and personal piety. And so that's what Jeremiah sees on one plane. But we should remember, like many of Jeremiah's promises, the promises of verses 3 and 4 have a double fulfillment, a deeper layer. They are fulfilled again and finally in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, John 10, I am the good shepherd. He was claiming to fulfill everything the Old Testament had to say about good shepherds, including Jeremiah 23. Which is, I hope you can see, uh, beloved, the comfort offered you in Christ today. That though the church be distressed and scattered about, Though God's church be neglected by those who should care for them, the church will never sink. God's people will never go missing. The peace and health of the church is not bound up with the, with the wickedness of her rulers. What a great promise and reward for us what a word of comfort for God's people. Isaiah 40, 11 puts it like this. He will tend his sheep like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. There's a lot of talk today about the economy and politics and this nation and what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there. And there's one thing that Jeremiah wants his people to know. And there's one thing Christ wants us to know. God is our shepherd. We must not fear. We must not be dismayed. The church will never sink. 
God's people will never go missing. God is an everlasting God. Who has a right arm like his, the prophets say, and who can thunder with a voice like his? And so the psalmist says in Psalm 23 that even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, well, they comfort me. God is our chief shepherd. Let's trust him. Let's walk with God all of our days. Well, there's one more that Jeremiah, one more word that Jeremiah wants us to hear here. It's a word of hope. It's a word of hope, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Just a comment here on this phrase, the days are coming. It's a phrase used throughout the Old Testament, especially in prophetic literature, to describe the coming of the Messiah. These would be days in which the Messiah would reign as king and extend his rule throughout the earth. Isaiah 2, Hosea 3, Joel 2, Micah 4. You run, you run across this phrase constantly. The days are coming. The days are coming. Or the phrase, the latter days, the latter days, the latter days. And according to Acts 2, we are in those days. We are in the last days. People ask me all the time, Pastor Ryan, are we in the last days? Yes, we are. We are in the last days, the latter days, the days to come, the reign of the Messiah. Christ has come and is reigning and ruling from glory. And he says, during these days, I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Whenever we hear of David's name in the Old Testament, our ears perk up. We know that the Messiah will be David's son. The long-awaited king to com- coming to rule over God's people will be David's rightful heir, 2 Samuel 7. He will be an offshoot from David's family, a branch a little branch off the kingly line. Isaiah made the same promise. Isaiah 11.1, 1, There shall come forth a shoot, just a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch, he says, from his roots shall bear fruit. This branch is the son to be given. It's the Christmas song. The child to be born. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we could add the righteous branch. This is why, beloved, the Gospels take such an interest in the genealogies of Christ. They prove that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah, the root and offspring of David, Revelation twenty-two, sixteen. So Jeremiah sees Ezra and Nehemiah on one hermeneutical plane, but God gives him more, more to see in verses five and six. 
He sees a different era, the, the present age we, li- we live in today, and he sees Jesus Christ, the righteous branch coming to reign. Now, all of that is introduction. Just kidding. I want to look with you at three excellencies in this text of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first excellency of Jesus Christ is a branch from David. He's a branch from David. His appearance, in other words, is lowly. He's just a branch. He's just a shoot. His beginnings, small. Like that of a sprout. Isaiah 53, he is the root out of dry ground. But this all changes. This rise of the branch will be great. And as Matthew Henry says, this branch will be loaded with fruit. Zechariah 6, go there. The second to last book in the Old Testament. It elaborates on why he's called a branch. Zechariah 6, verse 12. Why is he a branch? Zechariah 6. Verse 12. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, Zechariah is given the same image as Jeremiah. The man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from his place. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. So Jesus Christ, as the branch of David, as the branch of God, is growing his temple. Now, he's growing the church. Now, in the latter days. And as sinners come to him by faith, this temple is expanding throughout the earth. And that branch is being loaded and sagging with fruit. The redeemed people of God. God. He's a branch of David upon whom the sinners cling to and have union with for life and godliness. He's a branch from David. Second, he's a king who saves. He's a king who saves. Jeremiah 23, again, He shall reign as king 
and deal wisely. What verse is that in? I've lost my, my spot. Verse 5. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. So this branch will be raised as high as David's throne. There's such paradox here. This branch will be raised high as David's throne. He will set up a kingdom that will be victorious over all opposition. Matthew Henry says again, in the chariot of the everlasting gospel, he shall go forth conquering and to conquer, end quote. Christ in his first advent will break the power of the devil Under his dominion, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. That promise, by the way, is not referring to a millennial reign in which the nation of Israel will be saved. Stay with the hermeneutics. He's already told us the righteous branch comes, appears at his first advent. That means that Israel and Judah is being gathered today. The spiritual seed of Abraham is being gathered today through the preaching of the gospel. His elect, hear this, we will fear no no more, nor be dismayed, and none of God's people will go missing. All will be protected. All will dwell secure until he comes again. He's a king who saves to the uttermost. Third, and finally, he is the Lord, our righteousness. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. As the branch of David, the very offspring of his kingly line, the Messiah is man, a very man. But here, you can see in verse 6, he is also called the Lord. So we see that the Messiah is also God, a very God. He is Yahweh, the eternal, self-existent, independent, and self-sufficient Lord of all. This is the one Jeremiah sees, the God-man albeit very darkly and dimly. Charles Spurgeon says, quote, Who less than God could have carried your sins and cast them away? Who less than God could deliver us from the jaws of hell's lions? Spurgeon says, Let the atheist scoff and the deist sneer. We will glory in this fact that he who bought us with his blood is Yahweh, God, a very God. End quote. This is Jesus Christ, our righteousness. My friends, this is one of the sweetest blessings of the gospel. Here's why. Romans 3 states, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 1 states that it is by our unrighteousness that we suppress the truth. We don't have what it takes to live and dwell with God. But Jesus does. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. 
He is the Lord, our righteousness. He gives to us what we are not, righteousness, that we might give to him what he is not, sin. And verse 6, don't miss it, verse 6 says, this is the name by which he must be called. He will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Have you called him by that name? Have you called him by that name? Is he your righteousness? Don't let another Advent season go by without exchanging your sin for his righteousness. Not another day. He will be called this by all the world one day. But have you called him this? Are you like Paul in Philippians 3? That you've traded everything in to be found solely in the righteousness of Christ. Exchange your sin for his righteousness. Well, there was one man who who did such a thing. You probably know his name. We sing his hymn a lot. It is Robert Murray McShane, 1813 to 1843. He died when he was 29 years old. Had a profound ministry. When he was dying, he wrote that hymn, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. He says that wonderful verse, when free grace awoke me by light from on high, then legal fears shook me. I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah Sidkenu, my Savior must be. He must be this. Call upon him for righteousness sake. Let's pray. Our great God, we give you great thanks for the word of the gospel that Christ is our all in all. That Christ is perfectly furnished and fit to save sinners. That you came for the ungodly. May you receive all the glory and honor all of our days, for you are worthy. The Lamb has been slain, and he is risen. Hallelujah, for your name's sake, Lord.